Hello, and welcome to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. Jimmy Aiken's our guest both hours, and it's open forum. That's uh, what you expect on a Thursday, and we like nothing better than to meet or exceed your expectations. The number is 888-318-7884, 888-318-7884. Open forum is open to anyone. You certainly don't have to be Catholic uh, to call. If you have a question uh, about the Catholic faith, about Catholic belief, about Catholic teaching, 888-318-7884. Open forum also, especially when Jimmy's here, means we're pretty much open to anything you want to ask. All those categories I just described, plus... Anything else in reality? 888-318-7884. Jimmy, the author of a whole bunch of books, a long-time apologist. As a matter of fact, coming up on his, I believe, 30th Mm -hmm. anniversary of being a professional uh, apologist. Uh, And also the proprietor of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. Hello, Mr. Jimmy Aiken. Hello, Mr. Cyril Kellett. Uh, 888-318-7884, the number. So what drops tomorrow on Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World? Well, today, last night, I dropped a debate that I did on uh, on uh, the Capturing Christianity channel on the subject of authority, so Sola Scriptura versus the Catholic model. Today, I dropped a, uh, a debate debrief about that. And tomorrow on Mysterious World, we are going to be looking at the 1960s Socorro, New Mexico UFO landing witnessed by police officer Lonnie Zamora. All right. Uh, 888-318-7884, the number here. Um, you know, there you do this, this show that's so popular and intelligent and reasonable and all that. Have you noticed that there's a thing on the internet where... Um, it seems to me some people make a living just making weird videos. And I don't even mean offensive or anything like that. Just weird. Just doing weird things. Are, are you aware that this is like, a whole... Like what? Shaking their butts or in like, pretending um, they're planks or... Uh, like pretending they're learning to play the recorder and their recorder is going through a birdhouse that has a hand in it that helps them play the recorder. And uh, then a magical hand appears uh, to... Uh, scold them when they make mistakes. I have not seen such videos. Oh, huh. right. I recently. I've, I've seen I've seen weird videos. I haven't seen that one. I should say. Okay. All right. It just seems like such an odd thing, and and sometimes mesmerizing. Sometimes it's just so weird that you're like, what? And then you uh, forward I have, it to everybody. Oh, they've been they've been doing that longer than than the internet. Um, there was uh, what was the I think the name was Shay Saint John. But there was a kind of performance artist back in the 1980s who was making VHSs oh. th- that that were about this alleged. I mean, he was playing a character. He was a guy, but he was playing a character um, who was like a model. The story was this was a model that had gotten into a train accident and had to rebuild her body out of mannequin parts. And they yeah. are those those the videos, at least the one I have seen of that character is just amazingly bizarre. It's like, yeah, this is so that's what these uh, weird. Yeah. It's hard to it's like there's this cringe reaction, but it's hard to look away. And some of them have a kind of um, is this person serious or, mm-hmm. or do they know that this is surrealism? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I was exposed to it because um John Sorensen forward, forwarded me what he told me was the greatest video on the internet, and it was, uh-huh. and he was pranking me. It was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. 
I didn't know okay. what to make of it. Uh, 888-318-7884. Lots of folks already on the line. I guess we'll start in, in New York. I mean, if you're going to start somewhere, uh, start in the uh, fourth most populous state in the union. Is that? I don't know. I'm just guessing. I don't know. Frank uh, in New York, uh, thanks for starting us off. Go ahead with your question for Jimmy. Uh, yes, thank you, gentlemen. God bless you. Um, I, uh, this is a strange question, Jimmy. I, I was debating a Protestant the other day. I think you actually debated this fellow before. Hmm. And uh, we were talking about the priesthood. And he said, mm-hmm. well, I said uh, it's a contraction of the word presbyteros. He says that didn't happen until the Middle Ages, till Henry VIII. Well, I found in the old Anglo-Saxon, they were actually using it back in 700 as the word priost, but mm-hmm. he denied the priesthood. He said if they were going to use that uh, word, they would have used the word hieros in the Greek, which they didn't use. And um, Paul actually calls himself a priest in uh, Romans fifteen sixteen in a number of translations. But I, it's a three-part question, Jimmy. Um, uh, I want to know, he denied that Timothy was a bishop, too. He called him an apostolic legate, which I can't find that anywhere in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to know, were the apostles bishops and were, and, and, bish, and bishops priests? Uh, so if you okay. were attacked with this type of situation, how would you answer it, uh, Jimmy? Well, you, you, your, your friend laid quite a number of things on the table there, and I don't know if I'll have the space to respond to them all. But in general, uh, the general answer is that language changes over time, and you can't simply define a word based on what its etymology is from. Its etymology or word origins uh, can be informative and helpful in understanding a word at times, but they aren't... Um, they aren't something that you can strictly rely upon because words change meaning. My favorite example of that, which Cy Kellett may know, is the word nice. Oh, because yeah, yeah. If if I say, uh, that's a nice dress, honey, I don't mean that is a foolish dress, honey, but that's where the word nice comes from based on its word origin. So it comes from the Latin word necius, Ne is a negation, and skius me is, as you can hear, it's related to science. It's it's knowing, and so nesius means not knowing, meaning ignorant or foolish, and that is not what we mean by nice today. It is the term has definitely changed meanings. So when it comes to um, the terms connected with ministry in the Bible and in subsequent history, they have also undergone a process of development. The, you're quite correct that the English word priest, which you know, comes from the Middle Ages, if not earlier, is, a, is an anglicization and contraction of the Greek word presbyteros, which means elder. And Christians have always considered the priests we have today, the Christian priests, to be the uh, same office as the office of elder in the New Testament. Now, there is another term that's used for priest, uh, hierus, which is used for Jewish priests and pagan priests in the New Testament. And uh, in English, the term priest became extended to refer to those individuals as well. That's why today we talk about Jewish priests, not Jewish hieroi. 
And similarly, we talk about pagan priests, not pagan Eeroi. So in English today, we have an umbrella term, priest, that covers all three different forms of religious office, the uh, pagan priests, the Jewish priests, and the Christian priests. Um, in terms of the apostles, well, okay, uh, again, we have flexibility in the early terms that were used for Christian ministry. Uh, the other two terms that are most notable in the New Testament that became the names of offices are episkopos, which means literally means overseer, but it is also the basis of the English word bishop, and diakonos, which originally meant servant, but uh, today it, it, it is the basis of the office deacon. Well, what we find when we look at the apostles is they used the, all three of those terms, and they certainly they oversaw different groups of Christians, so the apostles could be described as episcopoi or bishops. They also tended to be older, and so at one point uh, St. Peter refers to himself as a, as a presbyteros, or an elder, or a priest, if you want to translate it that way. And they also were servants of Christ, so they can be described as diaconoi, or deacons. What their, their, the fullness of their office—and and some of these expressions may not even be—they may not even be referring to themselves at, in terms of office. Like when Peter says he's an elder, or a presbyteros, he may just mean, I'm an old man. You know, he's not necessarily referring to his religious office at that point. But um, the standard theological understanding is that they had the highest office in the Church, apostle, and that subsumed the functions of the lesser offices. So they had all the powers of priests, all the powers of presbyteroi, or, or pre—I'm sorry, all the powers of bishops, all the, which itself subsumes the powers of the priesthood, which subs, itself subsumes the power of the diaconate. And so um, as you move up in the ranks, you have first the powers of the diaconate, you become a deacon, then you gain the powers of the presbytery or priesthood, then you gain the powers of the episcopacy, and back in the first century, you could also be an apostle, which subsumed all of those different uh, functions. Uh, Frank, I'm going to leave it there. I hope that that was helpful to you, but it's time for the first break, so we will do that. It's open forum. Jimmy Aiken is our guest, and more of that right after this. Let us help you with your question today on Catholic Answers Live. Do you have a question but prefer to ask it privately? Catholic Questions can help. Go to CatholicQuestions.com to ask your question online, email us, drop us a letter, or give us a call. Longtime Catholic Answers Live apologist and author Jim Blackburn or another Catholic Questions apologist will be happy to assist you. Catholic Questions proudly supports Catholic Answers Live. So visit us at CatholicQuestions.com today. That's CatholicQuestions.com. The power of prayer simply means that words have an effect. For example, when a couple says, I do, it literally changes two people to becoming one in marriage. When you say, I love you, it changes us and it gives us value. The power of prayer is in the words and in the sentiment, but it's also in the fact that God, who is omnipotent, all-powerful, answers our prayers.
Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live. Jimmy Aiken, our guest. It's open forum. Anyone can call. Whether you're Christian or not, you, you got a question, you want to ask about the Catholic faith, about morals, about uh, Jesus, uh, or about literally anything else in the universe, 888-318-7884 is the number. I have two ads to read. They both end with exclamation points. So I'll do this one, and I'll really try hard to give it a— So, so well, before, you, before you do, so how are you going to pronounce the exclamation points? Because— it, it has different phonic values oh. in different languages. I mean, in the language of the Ungbushman, really, the the it, when it's written in the Latin script, the exclamation point has a tongue click sound. All right, and so like you know, you that. see these you see these guys in the Gods Must Be Crazy that movie from the eighties. The Ungbushman. Yeah. So yeah. So maybe you want to just. I'm gonna for, try that, maybe, Jimmy. There you go. Every t- everywhere that there's an exclamation point in this script, I'm going to do the... Good. Uh, have you heard? There's a store-wide sale going on at shop.catholic.com. Hundreds of great Catholic books, digital products, and online courses all on sale from 10 to 25% off and more. Want to stock up on Jimmy Aiken books? They're on sale. All of them. Need extra copies of my book, The Teacher of Strange Things? We've got you covered. Visit shop.catholic.com today and check out hundreds of great deals, packages, and special offers going on now. I'm good. I, that I, that was that, that was much more entertaining than the usual way, and I liked right. that there were I liked that. that there were multiple tongue clicks in a row. You know the yeah, oh, that's part. how Carrie <laughs> that's how yeah. Carrie writes the scripts. So from now on. That's what Carrie gets every time he puts an exclamation point on there. Uh, Let's go to Salinas, California. Christopher in Salinas watching on YouTube. We're glad you're here, Christopher. Go ahead with your question for Jimmy. Yeah, well, when I was hearing the the tongue click, maybe you can get yourself a little bell just like they do in Salvation Army when they're um, asking Uh, for donations during Christmas time. That could work. Especially if my tongue gets tired. I really appreciate that, uh, Christopher. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, yes, um, my question um, for uh, Jimmy is um, regarding the topic of exorcism. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done research on, on the topic. In some way, you know, it's, in some way it's, it's interesting, but I know by the Church's teaching, uh, only a, it has to be a priest who can only do the exorcism. Um, my question is, can a laity do a minor exorcism? There, there are a couple of reasons why I ask this. I um, want to point out a couple of things. Uh, number one, um, in near my mother's hometown in Mexico, there was someone who was possessed by the devil because in the home it had manifestation of the devil. And the possession of the men got worse and worse and worse. The family tried to contact the, the parish, but the parish didn't do anything. It wasn't until one day the possession of the men got worse. Um, they called police officers. One of the police officers tried to grab the possessed man, but the possessed man launched the police officer into the ground so horribly people got Mm. scared. But in the crowd, there was a young lady. She had a crucifix and holy water and started casting holy water in the demon. The demon couldn't resist it. Um, She invoked the name of the Lord, and the devil left. That's Mm -hmm. That's the first part. 
The second part is I saw a video on YouTube from a Catholic priest. His name is Father. Oh no! Wait, let's let's not do that, I, I, Christopher. I just don't want to give out the names of, of folks that we don't know because we I, we can't vouch for them or whatnot. But um, I, I do think we have the question. Or, or even if we do know them, if we're not familiar with the situation, we can't evaluate it. But you can describe the situation. Yeah. And without the name, and I can react to it. Um, there, there, there's a um, Venezuelan priest, very famous. He goes in Latin America, Mexico, and the United States, and he has a very good way of explaining the, the Catholic faith. And one of his videos, um, of someone asked him if a laity can do an exorcism. According to this Venezuelan priest, said only a priest can do it, but he acknowledged Ephesians chapter 6, 10, 11, the only way Someone can take on the devil is if you are full of the armor of God, but he also, this priest acknowledged Acts 19, 13 to 16, where the Jewish exorcist tried to exorcise, but the yeah. devil attacked them naked, and he just said, okay. this, that, that's how intensive the devil is. So, this All right, so the question basically okay. is, can the laity perform even minor exorcisms? Okay, so the term minor exorcism is a term of art in uh, Catholic theology, in Catholic law. It refers to a kind of minor uh, ritual that is performed as in the context of other rituals, like baptism, for example. There is a minor exorcism in the official rite of baptism, and it's not the same as what you described being done in your hometown. That was more of an emergency procedure where the woman was trying to drive out the demon in the middle of a major demonic manifestation. Um, so let's sketch the basic principles. In principle, a person any 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 person can perform an exorcism. In principle, anybody can invoke the name of the Lord and expel uh, or you know ask God to expel and his angels to help expel a demon from a situation. Um, and that's illustrated by the fact that Jewish people who were not Christians could also perform exorcisms. Uh, we read about that in the Gospels, for example, where Jesus is at one point accused of using demonic power to drive out demons, and he says, well, if I'm doing that, who are your sons doing it by? Because he's aware of other Jewish exorcists. So it, you don't even have to be a Christian in principle in order to be an exorcist. But there are significant dangers to doing an exorcism, especially if you don't know what you're doing. And we see examples of that in the book of Acts, um, like where one uh, group of um, the sons of a, of a Jewish gentleman named Sceva are trying to drive out a particularly fierce demon, and the demon says, and they're even using the name of, of Jesus, uh, and they're saying, like, they're using a formula like, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches— you know, we drive you out, and the demon says, um, well, Jesus I, I, I know, and Paul I've heard of, but who the blank are you? And then he attacks them and, and drives them out, you know, like naked and stuff, running out into the streets. Um, so there can be very significant dangers to doing this as well. And in the course of Church history, the Church has decided that even though it's possible in principle for anyone to perform an exorcism, uh, the full-blown exorcism, known as a major exorcism, is only to be performed by a priest 
who has special training, and who has the authorization of his bishop. So it's not just any priest, it's only certain priests are authorized to perform major exorcisms. Then there are what are known as minor exorcisms, which are part of, like I said, um, other ceremonies like baptism. And those other ceremonies can be performed by ordinary priests. You know, ordinary priests can baptize, deacons can baptize. In an emergency circumstance, a layperson can baptize, but when a layperson baptizes, they're not doing the full ceremony. They're doing the essential part of it, the application of the water with the Trinitarian formula. You know, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So lay people, as far as I am aware, I could be mistaken on this, but as far as I'm aware, they're not authorized to do what is technically known as a minor exorcism. However, there is another thing that lay people can do, and that's what is known as a deliverance prayer. Um, a deliverance prayer is like an exorcism, but it doesn't use the official text of the rite of exorcism. And so um, lay people are authorized to use deliverance prayers. Some deliverance prayers have even been approved for the church, uh, by the church, for the laity to use. Here in the United States, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has a booklet of deliverance prayers that they publish that lay people can use. And so I would view what happened in your hometown as kind of an emergency deliverance prayer. She, she wasn't using the official text of the rite of exorcism to do this, based on your description. Uh, so this would fall into the category of a deliverance prayer. Having said that, even though the laity are allowed to use deliverance prayers, that's not to say there aren't dangers as well. Um, because, you know, if you run across a particularly fierce demon, they could attack you the way the one did the, the sons of Sceva in the book of Acts. So uh, even in the case of deliverance prayer, um, the laity want to be careful in their interactions with the apparently demonic. Also, they need to be real prudent. Uh, one of the reasons that the Church wants specially trained priests to do exorcisms is that it's not all about safety. It's also about judging accurately whether the devil is really involved, because there are a lot of situations where someone may be doing something, they may be behaving in a way that other people think they're demonic, when really it could be mental illness or drug use or something else. And so um, you, just because someone's behaving bizarrely, you don't want to assume it's a demon. Um, if you'd like more information, on that uh, topic and discerning whether something is really a demon, I would suggest checking out an episode of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Uh, it's episode 188, and it's on. Uh, it's all about demons and and whether or not they are or are not involved, as well as some of the tragedies that can happen when people falsely diagnose a demon, when they think something is demonic and it's not. Uh, once again, that's episode 188 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, and you can access it by going to mysterious.fm slash 188. Uh, th thanks very much. I pr appreciate the question, uh, Christopher, and I hope you will check that out. Uh, we got to keep moving. Up next is Steve in Napomo, California, watching on YouTube. Welcome back, Steve. Go ahead with your question for Jimmy. Thank you, Cy. Good talk, Mr. You know me as a guy wanting to move towards the church, 
mostly Lutheran background. My mother is a full-blown Lutheran. She's we just got the news that you know the cancer spread. She's got six months to a year and a half to live. I can't. I'm not going to expect her to change now. But would you please? Can you help me theologically and also some resources that she would accept maybe uh, to, to help, help her in her, her time know, of dying? I really dealt well with the end of life yet, so. Okay, well, um, I'll be of what assistance I can. Um, I don't have myself books that are um, written for preparation for death. I know other Catholics have written such books, and you might do a search on preparation for death. I would suggest reading them yourself before giving them to her, because they, they may rely on heavily Catholic concepts and stuff that 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 might not be of benefit to her. Um what I do have, it's not it's not a preparation for death book, but I do have a very short little book called uh, The Words of Eternal Life, and it's it's a defense of the Christian faith broadly and the Catholic faith in particular. Um, but it's written in a very simple and easy to read way. Um, Cy, I'm sure if Steve hangs on the line, we can arrange to send him a copy of The Words of Eternal Life. Yes, and you might read that and see if you think that would be of help to your mother. Uh, hang on the line, uh, Steve, and we'll get that to you. Can, uh, uh, Edgar, what will you tell Edgar uh, when he's got a minute? Yeah, send that to Steve, The Words of Eternal Life. Um, and also we want to ask the, um, the audience to uh, pray for your mother and for everyone in similar situations. Uh, Steve, thanks. Look forward to speaking with you again. It's open forum, and you can call and ask Jimmy Aiken anything you want. 888-318-7884. I am very excited that we are going to be coming back right after this on Catholic Answers Live. Here's a question. Is it really possible to be friends with someone who died 2,000 years ago? Maybe the problem is that we've grown way too comfortable with the story of Jesus. Nice man, right? Taught us to love one another, said not to judge people. We celebrate his birthday every year. It's time to put away this small, safe version of Jesus, says Cy Kellett. Nobody that bland could have transformed the world. In a teacher of strange things, Cy presents Jesus Christ undiluted by sentiment, with all his radical words and deeds uncensored. Do you know someone, your son or daughter perhaps, or maybe your mom or dad, who needs the friendship of Jesus Christ? Do you? Order your copy of A Teacher of Strange Things by visiting shop.catholic.com today or asking for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Have you enrolled in the Catholic Answers School of Apologetics? Let me ask you a more important question. Do you believe as a Catholic that you have an obligation to share the Catholic faith? In fact, the Church has answered this question, and the answer is that all confirmed Catholics are obliged to share the faith. It's actually in canon law. Catholic Answers is here to help you fulfill that obligation. Our School of Apologetics courses will equip you to help all the people you come in contact with understand what the church teaches and why. A great place to start is with all the Catholics in your life. Learn the art of apologetics from the best of the best and start sharing the gospel today. Visit schoolofapologetics.com. That's schoolofapologetics.com. Did you know you can access Catholic Answers Live right from your phone or other mobile device? Download the Catholic Answers Live app today. 
the Catholic Answers Live app, available now on iOS and Android. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Psycho, your host. We're, getting, we're developing all kinds of Thursday rituals here. We've got the Thursday groovy music. Uh, and now we've got this uh, thing that you do, Thomas, where you come in here. Thomas, um, uh, social media maven, uh, comes in and brings uh, questions for Jimmy from TikTok. TikTok, um, one of the few remaining uh, social media sites not owned by Elon Musk. Uh, I think there are one or two. Still no, they're owned right. by China. Oh, <laughs> well, t- oh yeah, TikTok is owned by China, right? Yeah, hopefully Elon will own them sometime. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he'll buy, he'll buy them. But um, yeah. oh, it would be great if Elon bought China. That would be good. Yes, it would. <laughs> what do you think it's going for these days? I don't even know what the going price for China is. TikTok? Gosh, I, I don't even Not know how to TikTok. convert. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, Thomas uh, brings questions from TikTok, and then he takes Jimmy's answers back to TikTok and shares them with uh, TikTok Participants, viewers, what do you call them? Viewers, uh, or yeah. Viewers around Followers. the world. In a little segment we like to call TikTok Culture Shock. Take it, Thomas. Okay. That's like middle of the pack of names okay. you've proposed so far. Right. Uh, yeah, Jimmy, I kind of wish I'd remembered to bring this on the show last week because it's great for the lead up to Halloween. But in any case, mm-hmm. I think it's a question that you would have fun ha- answering. Halloween is, Halloween is in our hearts. That's right. And there's only 360-something days left. Until the next one. So um, uh, this person just wants us to, uh, he asked if we can make a video about the church's view on ghosts. Okay, so let's start by talking about what ghosts are. English is a Germanic language, and it the word ghost is related to the German word geist. And it means spirit. Um, that's why we sometimes in English refer to the Holy Spirit, and sometimes we refer to the Holy Ghost. Same thing. Ghost just means spirit. Obviously, the Catholic Church teaches spirits exist, as with the Holy Spirit, but also the human spirit. So a a ghost, the way the term is normally used, refers to the spirit of a human being who has died. Now, what people want to know about ghosts, once they understand that concept, is do they ever appear to the living? And the Catholic Church says, yeah, they do. Um, This is particularly the case, for example, in what are known as apparitions. An apparition is the appearance. You can hear how apparition, appearance, it's the same root. Um, When someone, when a departed human spirit appears to someone, that is an apparition. And there have been various apparitions of the saints down through history. Uh, These would be people who are in heaven, who are nevertheless appearing to people here on earth. But um, the, uh, in the history of, of Catholic thought, it actually goes farther than that. Also, um, there is a long history of people who are in purgatory. So these are holy souls appearing to people on earth, either uh, as part of their purgatorial process, either doing something they needed to do in life and they kind of neglected, or appearing in order to ask for prayers. St. Thomas Aquinas was of the opinion that not only can the saints and the holy souls appear to us, but even lost souls 
can appear to us. Perhaps, for example, in a kind of Jacob Marley role, you know, you better shape up or you're going to end up where I am or something like that. Incidentally, Jesus' own apostles believed in apparitions. They believed that, that spirits could appear to us. We read in the Gospels that when Jesus was walking across the water in the middle of the night, they at first thought it was a ghost until they talked to him and found out it was Jesus. Then, after the resurrection, you know, they thought, maybe this isn't physical, maybe because they weren't expecting a resurrection. Um, maybe this is a ghost. And Jesus ate food in front of them and said, you know, handle my body. A spirit has not flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And so he had to prove to him that he wasn't just a ghost. Notice, he didn't say, come on, guys, ghosts don't exist. He accepted their belief in the possibility of ghosts appearing to people, and so does the Catholic Church. That's fascinating, and it seems like most of those are are um, of more of a benevolent type, right? They're not so much a, a malicious kind of spirit haunting a certain place and just trying to, you know, give people the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. Um, now, that's not to say some ghosts aren't jerks. Uh, there are people who are jerks in this life, and, you know, there have been reports of, of ghosts that have annoyed people or, you know, for various reasons, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. I mean, angels aren't all sweetness and light. I mean, they're morally good, but angels could annoy people, too, and they do things at, in Scripture at times that are uncomfortable for people. First and thing so they just, usually say is, don't be scared. Well, they exactly, and so um, ghosts can also be scary, um, but they're but at least normally, if it's a if it's a saint or if it's a holy soul, it's on the side of good, and even if it's a little scary, it may not it's it's not out to hurt you. All right, I'll sleep a little better tonight. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you, Thomas, for that uh, fine uh, segment of a little uh, bit we like to call TikTok Culture Shock. Uh, come back. And I'll have another title next time. Megan in Wisconsin's next. Who, who are you going to call? Jimmy Aiken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Uh, may, you know what he I'm He doesn't re- give as good answers. Uh, that's true, too. Yes, that's true. Um, well, one time I saw him get called, it did not go well. No, that's true. Uh, but J- Megan in Wisconsin watching on YouTube. Uh, you're up next. Uh, go ahead with your question for Jimmy Aiken. Uh, hello, Cy and Jimmy. Uh, my question is kind of how do we refute the Calvinist view of free will? Okay, so the idea of um, of free will in Calvinism, I mean, it can take a few different forms, but the there 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 are different ways of approaching that uh, subject because. The Catholic Church has a range of opinions on how free will works, um, and depending on which permitted view you adopt, you would object to the Calvinist view to different degrees. Kind of the minimum or the smallest um, area of disagreement would be the idea that free will works in such a way that God determines who is damned by passing over them and not giving them the grace needed for them to make a a choice for him. And so God becomes the the reason that damned people are damned. 
And that can be uh, objected to on scriptural grounds in a number of different ways. But one of the things that we read now, they will have verses they will attempt to appeal to to support this view, but um, there are other verses that indicate that and state flat out, God does not desire anyone to be lost, but for everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth and to be saved. And furthermore, we find multiple uh, verses in Scripture that will uh, emphasize human freedom and talk about, you know, you need to make a choice. And it's not like God's going to make the choice for you and manipulate you like a puppet. It's no, you need to make the choice. Um, now, there are um, object, there are rebuttals that they will try. The truth is that there are passages that can be read both ways in Scripture. Uh, there are passages that emphasize divine sovereignty, and there are passages that emphasize human liberty, and the question is, how do we square these? Um, but if you want to say that God determines who goes to hell, then that is very hard to distinguish from the proposition that God is the author of evil. They will try to do so, but the responses they will make are, to most people, certainly to anyone who's not a Calvinist, are not convincing. And so even in the Protestant community, you'll have a lot of disagreement uh, saying, look, your view of God um, is monstrous. It, it involves God effectively choosing to send people to hell and then guaranteeing that they commit the sins that will, that will result in them going there. And so it's very hard to square that with the idea of God being all good, and you've got to face these other passages that emphasize you have a choice here, and that God doesn't want anybody to, uh, to be lost. So through that collection of different uh, notes or different points, those would be some of the things that I would uh, point to in objection to Calvinism. There are other aspects of Calvinism that one could also object to, depending on your view, but that's sort of a, um, a narrow application that virtually everyone who is Catholic would be willing to agree to, that that aspect of Calvinism is definitely wrong. Okay, Megan? Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you. Very good. Thank you for the call and for the question. Uh, all the other lines full, so we'll take a very quick break and get right back to the phones with Jimmy Aiken on Catholic Answers Live. Hello, this is Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni of San Francisco. Keep your dial tuned to Catholic Answers Live. You've heard that St. Paul Street Evangelization supports hundreds of teams of evangelists sharing the good news. But did you know that some of these teams are public prayer stations? Set up a sign on the sidewalk and offer prayer and encouragement to those you encounter. Everyone needs prayer. Try this new method of witnessing to Jesus. Contact St. Paul Street Evangelization to get started at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. 
The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. I'm a Dominican, and St. Dominic was an itinerant preacher who went around and touched people's lives by open-air preaching. The radio opens the possibilities of doing this to the entire world in a very intimate sense. EWTN Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mulady. Tonight, 10 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I am Cy Kelly, your host. Jimmy Aiken is our guest. Another uh, script to read with exclamation points in it. Have you seen the 2023 official Catholic Answers calendar? It's out now, and it's another masterpiece. This year's edition is Women of the Bible, and it features classic 16th and 17th century artwork of scenes with some of the most famous women in Scripture, from the Blessed Mother and Mary Magdalene to Esther and even Eve. Go to catholic.com. And click the banner at the top of the page to find out how to get yours today. Uh, up next, TJ. You, know, you should you should check out a video by Victor Borgia. Okay. Um, because he had a um, he developed a system for pronouncing punctuation marks. <laughs> He's and so funny. He's yeah. So funny. So you All might right. want to ch- check out Victor Borgia's punctuation routine, uh, and uh, you might. Get some pointer. You might want to read some uh, scripts using his system of of, uh, of phonetic punctuation at some point. Okay, I will check it out. Uh, that's when there used to be variety shows, and he was mm-hmm. always on those variety shows. I always loved when he was on. He's just so mm-hmm. weirdly funny. Uh, all right, where was I going? Oh yeah, I was going to the phones. TJ in Texas watching on YouTube. We're glad you're here, uh, TJ. Go ahead with your question for Jimmy. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, Forgive me if I'm a little shaky asking this question. It's, it got kind of serious this week. Um, oh. Um, my question is on the um, the most recent uh, update to the catechism and the teaching uh, on capital punishment. Um, what? How far on e- either side of that can can one? Um, is, sorry. Um, can can a, a potential juror? Uh, if if you have to weigh in on a case that involves that, how far can you go along with, say, your state or your local um, authorities' definition on what what that what that details without con- contradicting the faith or um, anything like? I hope I hope that makes sense. Well, so you're going to okay. be a juror in a ca- in a capital case? Yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. Okay. Uh, mm. uh, Okay, so that is a grave responsibility. So you're wondering, as a Catholic, do you have to uh, take the Catholic view as opposed to capital punishment while you're a juror? Yes. Okay. Well, well I, they 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 asked me a, a couple of questions in some in some of the interviews, and, and uh, I, I tried to articulate it as close as I could to what the what the Church uh, okay. teaches as far as respecting the, everyone's right to life, and. Um, we we do need to find a better solution if we can before we get to that that step. But I, if if the law is laid out that hey, if they meet these this criteria, you um if if they do meet meet that criteria and how, 
I'm sorry, I'm really shaky. Um, That's okay. I, I think I have enough to begin an answer, and then, TJ, you can tell me whether you need more. Um, so you, you, if you get on this jury, then you'll want to do some studying on this question. Now, in looking at the most recent um, edition of the Catechism, when it comes to capital punishment, um, the first step is discerning what kind of statement this is. Is it a doctrinal statement or is it a prudential statement? Um, there is a, you'll note that the, what the catechism says is that the use of the death penalty today is inadmissible. And inadmissible is a new term that has not been used previously in the history of this question. And it seems like they're deliberately avoiding using traditional terminology in this area because they don't seem to have a clear way of articulating the intuition that recent popes have had, which is they don't want to see capital punishment happening. They don't have a clear way of relating that to what has his, to what has been the history of teaching in this area, because the history of teaching is that it is, in principle, morally legitimate to use capital punishment, and and the opposite of that in historic doctrinal terms would be to say that it is intrinsically immoral to use capital punishment, meaning it's never licit, morally licit, to use capital punishment. And they, they seem to be deliberately avoiding that and saying that it's intrinsically immoral, and I think for good reason, because you have scripture that endorses the use of capital punishment, and you have, um, you have Catholic cultures um, and popes and councils that have endorsed capital punishment all the way down through history. So given all of that weight, I think it would be very hard to make an argument that capital punishment is intrinsically wrong or intrinsically immoral. And therefore, it seems to me they're trying to carve out new language to capture this intuition that they, they don't want to see it happening in the modern world. And if if that's the case, then they're not actually making a doctrinal judgment. They're making a prudential judgment based on the uh, on the factors that pertain in today's world and the way they perceive things on this subject. In that case, um, uh, one is always to receive what the magisterium says, including just prudential judgments with gratitude and give it serious consideration. But if it's not a doctrine, it's not doctrinally binding, and so it would be up to you to discern, um, you know, what do you think about this? How, how much do you agree that um, capital punishment should not be used today, and are there situations where it, it would be legitimate to use, and then in the particular court case you're looking at, is this one of those? Um, on the other hand, let's suppose that the case I've just laid out is mistaken and that this is a teaching. Well, it's still a very tentative teaching, the language that's used and, um, and is, is non-traditional language, and it's only just recently been proposed, the language has not been clarified, and so this, if it were a doctrine, 
And I, I see very, I, I find it very difficult to classify this as a doctrine rather than a prudential judgment. But if it were a doctrine, it would be very tentative and light in its authority level compared to other doctrines that are much more authoritative and even infallible. This would definitely be on the lowest end of, um, of doctrinal authority. So that would be something you'd want to take into account, but since it's a non-infallible teaching, it's possible that it could be mistaken. And again, you would have a choice to make about, you know, do you agree um, with, with this idea that as a doctrine that Catholic or that uh, capital punishment can never be used. If you uh, disagree with that, which is possible, the Church acknowledges, acknowledges it's possible to disagree with non-infallible teachings. It's not something to be done lightly, but it is possible in good conscience to say, you know, I, I just don't disagree with this non-infallible teaching. And if you did disagree with this non-infallible teaching, then it would be up to you to discern uh, when capital punishment would be legitimate and whether or not it would be legitimate in the particular case that you are participating in. Um, on the other hand, so, so those would be avenues by which someone who did favor capital punishment would be able to relate to to this new revision in the catechism. But let's go the other way, because I'm trying to be complete here. Suppose that you, whether on doctrinal grounds or prudential grounds, you decide that um, capital punishment should not be used in today's world. What would you do then as a juror as, um, as in, in navigating a case that involves potentially capital punishment. Well, it seems to me that you could intervene at a couple of points. One of them is during the sen during the uh, sentencing phase of the trial, you could recommend against capital punishment. If you're convinced that it should not be used in today's world, you can vote not to uh, for, you know, life imprisonment or some other uh, sentence, but not capital punishment. And you could use your vote on the jury to recommend against capital punishment. On the other hand, if there's a mandatory sentencing situation where if you do vote in the uh, in the initial trial phase, if you do vote to convict in the guilt phase, then the penalty of capital punishment will be automatic, then in the trial, in the guilt phase of the, of the trial, you would be able to use your vote again in a way known, in, in conducting what is known as jury nullification. Jury nullification is a situation in which a jury uh, knows what the law says and they know the evidence has been presented to, let's say, convict but they fundamentally disagree with what will happen if a person is convicted. And so even though they may believe that, um, that someone is guilty, they may refute under the law, they may say this is an immoral situation. If we convict this person, it will be immoral, and therefore we're going to use our votes to acquit this person or convict them of some lesser charge or something like that. Um, because what the prosecutor is asking of us is immoral. 
And so if this were a mandatory sentencing situation where if you vote to convict, the person will be put to death, um, you could you could use your vote in an effort for jury nullification. So there are a number of different options here. Uh, unfortunately, this is a brief radio answer, so I can't explore everything. But I hope that that gives you some principles that you could use to go forward and do some further study, because it is a very important situation that uh, one is facing if you're literally voting on a matter that pertains to someone's life and death. TJ, we said we'd come back to you. What do you think? It's fantastic. It's it's similar to what what I was thinking, and and I'm I'm doing my best to take it as as seriously as possible, and not not rely on emotions or anything like that to even make make any any decisions. It's it's still still pending selection, but I'm I'm really trying to, you know, be as true to my faith and to to my gut as possible, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously we can't discuss details of the case with you, um, but uh, if we can be of further assistance, please do let us know on or off the air. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, if you need us off the air, uh, just uh, send an email to radio at catholic.com. Well, we check those, radio at catholic.com, and we'll get you in touch with whoever you need to get in touch with, TJ. Uh, thank you. Uh, I appreciate the, the, the thoughtfulness uh, of the question and the thoughtfulness behind the question. Jimmy Aiken is our guest this hour and next. It's open forum. Uh, I don't know if we can get another question in, Jimmy. I might have a—I might just Well, then ask. why don't you ask something? All right, Jimmy. What happened in that New Mexico Socorro event uh, that seemed to be a UFO sighting? Okay, well, I was going to say spoilers, but um, don't say spoilers. But but in terms of uh, in terms of a basic account, so uh, you have uh, Officer Zamora was pursuing a speeding young person on the highway. He heard an extremely loud roaring noise, and he remembered there is a dynamite shack nearby, and he was afraid that the dynamite shack might have exploded, and that's what was uh, producing the extraordinarily loud roaring noise that he heard. So he abandoned pursuit of the speeding young person and drove towards where the dynamite shack was, and upon uh, coming up on a rise, he beheld an oval-shaped, uh, unidentified object um, with a flame coming out underneath it. He, it then landed, and he, it took him a while to get up to the top of the rise, but on looking down, he saw the object with a couple of, a couple of beings around it. He then saw the object take off again. It retreated extremely fast, and it left burning residue on the ground, what which was witnessed up? and witnessed and photographed by fellow police officers. That's tomorrow's episode of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. Drops every Friday morning. Check it out by going to mysterious.fm or just typing in Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World into your searching machine we're going to take a very quick break and then we're going to be back uh lots of folks on the line so we'll get right to questions when we get back if you'd like to try to get in on an open line 888-318-7884 it's open forum open to anyone and open to just about anything as far as questions go right back after this 